Brought to you by DKP and Co Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome, you're listening to the Football Bosses here on FNR. My name is Michael Zapponi and my co-host is Tony Pinata. Hello, Tony. Michael, back again, another week. Yeah, looking forward to a conversation with the head of the Matildas, uh, the coach, head coach, Alan Stadic. It's been a success story, hasn't it? Over the last 18 months, this brand has continued to uh, grow and and uh, what we saw on Monday night in Perth was, was terrific. Uh, a good send-off and a strong crowd and, and some players who are now really marketable commodities in our sport. No, they played really well and it was a, a, a great result. And only disappointment, though, Sam Kerr didn't score in front of her home yeah. fans. I think everyone was really nervous. She played well and... Uh, and then I thought, oh, Stage, what are you doing taking her off? But um, I think he's got bigger plans for her and um, the long term is, um, is what, what's it all about. But no, fantastic. And uh, they've been a revelation. And, um, you know, they're ranked fourth in the world uh, at the moment. And uh, they've got a big Asian Cup. And, and, and they sh- should qualify and they will qualify for the... Uh, next World Cup in, in France. Yeah, looking forward to the Asian Cup. And uh, yeah, he definitely has got his eye on the prize. The big prize is the Asian Cup. So Kerr, a little bit disappointed uh, to come off in the 55th minute. We asked her uh, after the game, but she was very professional and uh, and said uh, that she accepted the, the manager's decision and moved on from there. Great to see a good uh, atmosphere in the stadium on Monday night in Perth. And, and our friend Lou Sticker joins us. Uh, he's been on the show a couple of times and always fascinating to talk to him about the business of sport and bringing clubs out to Australia and Marquee and and we'll have a great discussion around uh, Marquee I reckon because uh, he was the man responsible along with you for bringing uh, Alessandro Del Piero to Australia. Yeah no Lou's very passionate about the Marquee and um, you know we you know we speak quite regularly and um, he believes that um, you know maybe the clubs in the A-League aren't doing you know the right thing around the marquees but um you know from the club point of view and uh, if i put that hat on which i have over the last few years um i can understand from a cost point of view but uh do you think that'll change next year given uh, the season we've had this year and, and the need to do something extra something next season? Needs, something needs to happen michael we can't keep going like we have and um you know stadia is one but that's a long-term fix so something needs to be done in terms of marketing the game and getting someone we look I know we keep going back, but we saw what Alessandro did to the league when he came back in 2012. Mm. It, it transformed. So financially, it was probably easier then than it is now. You know, you'll see what, what Zlatan's done at LA Galaxy and, mm. and the hype there. So something needs to happen, and hopefully the clubs in the A-League, a- if they get together again. Yeah, uh, I'm starting talk. to hear that clubs are now really seriously uh, working towards that next year. Some of the big clubs, Melbourne Victory, Sydney FC, seriously looking at uh, a big name marquee for next year, realising that they need to do a bit extra. Let's hope that does happen. Uh, we'll have plenty more coming up on this edition of the Football Bosses. Ellen Stadic to join us after the break. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Co Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to the Football Bosses. Michael Zapponi, Tony Pinata with you and uh, we're joined by the boss of the Matildas now. Alan Stadic has been good enough to join us in camp with the Matildas. Alan, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, good day, guys. How are you going? Yeah, really well, and it was great to catch up with you over the last few days. Tony, I had the pleasure of being in Perth and seeing the Matildas in action there. 7,500 people at NIB Stadium was outstanding result, given it was on a Monday night, given it was raining all day and the last two days in Perth. A uh, similar crowd to uh, went to the A-League game between Perth Glory and the Melbourne Victory, and it was such a good atmosphere in the stadium, Alan. I'm sure you would agree with, uh, with the family uh, atmosphere and, and the vibe in the stadium was, was brilliant. Yeah, for sure. Look, that takes it up to nearly 60,000 people we've had over the last five games that we've had in Australia. And, you know, I'm sure three, four years ago, five years ago, there there would have been plenty of people who said that that wouldn't happen for women's football in this country. So to see the response we've had in Melbourne, Geelong, uh, Penrith, Newcastle and now Perth just shows that there is a a market there for 
for our team and, and certainly for women's football. And, you know, I think it's just the beginning. I think if we keep growing the commercial side and the marketing side of the game, there's, there's no doubt that, that we can be a real real player in terms of, you know, drawing a lot of corporate media and, and, and obviously fan support. Well done, Alan. It was a solid win. I had the uh, fortune of watching the game. And, um, yeah, I thought the crowd was uh, was excellent. And uh, I think put some uh, Aussie pride back. The Matildas have surely done that over the last, um, I don't know, it's probably six or so months. And given the uh, the events of another, you know, our cricketers, um, it was good to, um, you know, sort of watch the Matildas and a free-flowing game and, um, you know, great results. So uh, congratulations More than on that. that. I reckon over the last two years, a terrific, yeah. terrific performance at the Olympic Games as well. True. Rank, yeah, yeah, unfortunate that sort of that night. But, um, yeah, they ranked fourth in the world and that's uh, it's amazing. So all bodes well for the uh, Matildas. Yeah, look, we've, we've certainly been growing over the last three, four years, as we all know, and, and the team is really starting to develop and mature and, and gain that extra little bit of consistency that you get when, when you add that little bit of professionalism and maturity to the camp. So, look, the players have done really well uh, for us. The expectation is to get into the top three in the world and we're not there yet. So, look, we think we've, we've improved and, and we think we've gotten to a level that, that's 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 at a good level, but certainly it's not the aspiration of us. We, we know we've, how much more we've got to work hard to, to get to the top three in the world. And everyone who's involved in football knows that you know that's not an easy. It's an easier thing to say than it is to do. Uh, you know, over a hundred teams, countries in our rankings, and and to get in the top three is going to be a miraculous achievement. But look, if we keep growing and improving, there's no doubt we're going to get there in the next period of time. We'd like to touch on uh, some of the business elements of sport and uh, I want to turn the back the clock two years and uh, you were preparing for uh, the Olympic Games and I remember I came to, to Canberra uh, and uh, met you and, and, and a lot of the girls in camp and, and interviewed you ahead of ahead of that and uh, I remember chatting as we were walking back from the, one of the training sessions and uh, we're talking about what was next and, and, and playing games on home soil was, was something that uh, wasn't planned at that point and uh, I think after the Olympic Games the realisation from the FFA was that you know this is a brand this is a product that we need to bring to home soil and you touched on it just over the last four months we've had games in in almost every city for the Matildas we've sort of come a long way since the Olympic Games in terms of marketing this product uh, in Australia and is that something that uh, you'll continue to push with the FFA what's planned for the next 12 months? Yeah, well, look, Tony could probably attest to how much I like to push people. So I was going to ask you, <laughs> he's still, still the same stage? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> but, you well, know, yeah. well, that's, um, you know, it all, it all bodes well because you've, um, you know, you've been successful and I know you were very successful uh, at Sydney FC when you um, headed up um, the uh, the W League team and I remember the conversations we had and, um, you know, look, don't don't change because uh, it, it worked there, it's working now, so keep going. Yeah, look, obviously I'm pretty passionate about about getting the team out there and, you know, I've known how good these girls are for the last 15 or 20 years having coached them, whether it's at Sydney or New South Wales Institute of Sport or with the young Matildas. So, look, I'm just glad everyone everyone around the country gets an opportunity now to see how, how skillful they are, the physicality of the game, you know, how mentally tough they are, how tactically aware they are and how much how much the game's evolved over the last few years. Like, it's just come come on in leaps and bounds, you know. And, and, you know, the more professionalism we get on and off the field, some of the CBA disputes that have happened and now now enable that the players actually train more and play longer in their careers. So, look, I can only see the standard and the performance of the team getting better and better as we go along. So, certainly a lot of important parts of that jigsaw puzzle. Uh, that's playing at home, that's getting a more professional W League and more professional Matildas, ensuring that our calendar fits in well with uh, competitions and clubs around the world. So there's a lot of things that go into it, but, but certainly I think we're heading down the right path. Was that the catalyst, though, the Olympic Games, the performance of the Matildas there and uh, the, the profile that they got certainly, uh, I thought, brought you into another stratosphere in, in terms of profile of, of the game and, and then from there uh, the FFA identified some opportunities to play on home soil? Yeah, look, I definitely agree. I think that was a catalyst for getting mainstream attention. You know, I think that the team's had a little bit of awareness in the football public, you know, going back even as far as the 2011 World Cup and the 2015 World Cup in Canada. There was certainly a lot of media interest and football interest, but, but as we all know, the Olympics just transcends all all Australian society and certainly mainstream sporting public. And to have that game on a, on a Saturday morning, I think it was 11 a.m. kickoff. 
um, back here in Australia, just to have so many people engaged in the game and the fact that it went to a shootout and it was a heartbreaking loss. I think I think indeed the team to a lot of new people and a, and a lot of different people. And, and certainly when I came home, it was one of those moments where everyone could remember where they were when they were watching that game, where they were down the road shopping and watching the watching the game on a TV screen in a shopping centre or they halted their own sport or they were getting updates on the radio as the game was progressing. So certainly I agree with Zappers. I think it was, was the moment that sparked the nationwide and mainstream interest that we got. In the and game. then in Penrith, uh, a sellout crowd against uh, Brazil. You had the two games against Brazil, one of the uh, the teams obviously you, you, you met in uh, in the Olympic Games, and uh, and to sell out that uh, venue was, was certainly a highlight. Um, what 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 do you see as the, as a pathway now for the next uh, next period uh, for the Matildas? Obviously, we're, we've got the Asian Cup, uh, but when you return from the Asian Cup, do you do you plan that far ahead, or do you you sort of focus now on on the Asian Cup? Yeah, look, obviously, yeah, we have planned um, a little bit ahead as well. Um, you know, the women's football calendar is not as is not as prominent and structured as as the men's football calendar is, but there certainly is FIFA windows, and we're we're trying to fill in those FIFA windows as we speak. Uh, we've certainly got some agreements in place with with a few countries, but they haven't been signed off on yet, so I can't really announce what those will be. But but we will go to the tournament of nations after the Asian Cup, so we will play against Japan, America and Brazil again and then we've hopefully got another couple of tours later on this year where we'll be playing against some of the best countries in the world um, and then hopefully towards the end of the year another couple of home games uh, to finish off the year 2018 as we head into the World Cup draw which will happen in December um, and then obviously heading into France 2019 which is which is obviously the pinnacle for us. Alan, the, um, the Asian Cup, is that a World Cup as well? Sort of World you, Cup qualifier. Yeah, yeah, so you've got to what, make yeah. the semis? Yeah, it is. The top five qualify okay. uh, for the World Cup. So there's two groups of four. The top two in each group qualify automatically and then play in the semifinals. And the two third-place teams go to a playoff and the winner of that playoff also goes to the World Cup. And talk, so the World Cup is in France in 2019 and hopefully then the, the next one after that could be in Australia. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. I think we're a good chance. Um, there's two or three countries that are bidding as well. I think Japan, obviously, as we know, would, would be a strong candidate. Um, I've heard Colombia might be putting a bid in New Zealand as well. Um, but, oh, look, we've been around long enough to see the Sydney 2000 Olympics, the, the Asian Cup that we hosted in 2015 for, for the men and all the other events that we host in Australia, the Commonwealth Games coming up soon in Australia. We just know what a, what a great job we do with hosting events like that. So hopefully... Touch wood, it all goes well for, for our bidding process as well, and hopefully we get the government support, uh, you know, which which we are at the moment, to, to help us get over the line there. Alan, we've, we've spoken a fair bit about women's football on this program uh, over the last few months, and uh, one of the interesting uh, conversations we had was with Joe Montemuro, who's obviously over at, uh, at Arsenal at the moment, and he was talking about the growth of the game over there and, and how seriously... Uh, Premier League clubs are starting to take it, whereas perhaps five years ago they 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 didn't place much importance on it as well. And and the type of money that that's been throwing around uh, uh, at Arsenal, as an example, is, is quite substantial. Uh, you know, without without speaking, uh, without revealing too much, he was saying some of the the budgets over there were equal to A League club budgets, uh, which is extraordinary. So given that, uh, is it going to be harder for us to keep uh, our big players here, like Sam Kerr, uh, in Australia? When, when the leagues, uh, as the English Premier League women's version, uh, sort of coincides with the league here in Australia? Yeah, I think I touched on that a bit before, Zappers. Yeah, mm. definitely there's a, there's uh, an element to that. The bigger that the game grows, the, the more, I guess, complexity we'll have with our national team. But look, if, if we have a player who's going over to a league um, and they're earning 10 times what they could playing in America or Australia, then obviously players will gravitate there at some point. Um, Look, I've watched a lot of the English league, domestic league, over the last three or four years. And even with Sydney FC, we played Chelsea uh, three or four years ago. Um, and they had to import seven or eight players just for the match, <laughs> just so they could compete with us. Mm. So um, I actually don't think the playing standard is is any better than the W League. Uh, certainly Manchester City have, have come along in leaps and bounds a little bit like Melbourne City back home. Uh, they've invested a lot of funds and, and attracted a lot of the best players in the world to their club. But um, look, in terms of the overall structure of the league and quality of the league, I, I wouldn't say it's any better than the W League at the moment. But in the next two, three years, four years, certainly that landscape uh, may change. France is, is similarly evolving. Uh, Lyon and PSG are very strong there. 
Spain, Spain and Portugal are the two interesting ones where they've really not really cared about women's football over the last four, five, ten years, um, but certainly they're embracing it in the last 18 to 24 months. And, and we know if Spain and Portugal get their act together, we know what kind of quality footballers they can produce. So mm. certainly their national teams will improve, I think, over the next period of time, and, and it's, it'll be interesting to see how much the club football evolves there. And, and the Champions League in Europe is getting stronger and stronger every year, and, and I think that's a big catalyst for some of these big clubs. Alan, you've um, been involved in women's football for a long time. <clears throat> How um, over the last sort of four or five years, um, the growth of the W League and, and the standard has improved enormously. Is, is that how you've seen it? Yeah, for sure. Look, as you know, Tony, when we first started, we, we, were, we were getting possibly one or two internationals, and that was because we had to split most of our playing base amongst two or three different clubs. Um, but but now every club is importing four or five internationals. The quality of the internationals is significant. They're all they're all national team players or on the verge of becoming national team players. A lot of a lot of the players around the world see our league as somewhere they want to get to. One one, it's a great destination in terms of spending you know summer in Australia. But but also just the quality of the league and the physicality of the league is is something that they all want to try out. And I was talking to one of the Norwegian girls who played for Canberra. Uh, in this season, after when we played them at Algarve two weeks ago, and she said the quality was was amazing. The physicality of the league was something she didn't expect, and you know she went home and just started bragging about how good the, the league actually was. So to get that from a neutral perspective just shows what kind of quality we've got on the field. Uh, off the field, we, we've certainly done a lot of work, as you know, Tony, with with the PFA FFA agreement in terms of providing the players with some kind of financial support, which which in the past possibly didn't happen for for the majority, but, but certainly we've laid a good platform for the league to get even stronger now. And, and the more that the A-League clubs and all the state and national associations support it, the stronger it will get in the future. Yeah, I think it's been great because, um, you know, when we, uh, you know, five years ago, not every A-League club used to run the um, the W League. I think it was only, you know, the Wanderers, Sydney FC, you know, Melbourne Victory, for example, didn't run the W League. It was run by the State Federation. Now all A-League clubs part of their whole club structure is having a W League team and uh, you know if it does ex- you know expansion the new clubs coming in will have a W League team as well so it's going to grow and it's a great you know I suppose catalyst for for clubs to become not only the men but but the women as as you know in the, you know Europe and and those sort of um, nations as well in in the US as well so it's uh, you know fantastic uh, for the, for the women's game yeah, exactly. And look, there's a club. There's a club in America who's probably one of the most successful, if not, if not the best club in the world in terms of women's football, and that's Portland Thorns. And they're run by Portland uh, Timbers. So the whole men's and women's team are, are funded by the same organisation. They're run 50-50. Everything that the men's team get, the women's team get. The the budgets are, are a little different, but not significantly different. But certainly in terms of resources and capacity and care. Uh, they spend just as much on their women's team as they do their men's team, and it's reflected in their in their uh, in their fan engagement. They get fifteen to seventeen thousand people every game. Uh, the men get the same. Uh, the engagement from the Portland community is amazing, and and to see that level of engagement from from a uh, football community, from a soccer community in America, is really amazing, and it shows what can be done when you have, as you said, Tony, that unified and and club centered approach where where it's all one club together and. I've definitely always thought that that's the way we should be moving forward. You spoke about the new... Yeah, fantastic yeah, sorry, example. Yeah. No, no, I was going to say, you spoke about the, the new agreement. Uh, just talk us through that. Is it... How far away are we from, uh, you know, our W League players, our Matildas being full-time footballers and having... I know in the last couple of years it's certainly improved and uh, many of them play overseas as well as playing a W League season, as well as playing the Matildas. There's, there's enough there to, to make it a full-time time job but they're still in the minority uh, where do we need to get to next to, to ensure that more of our women are, are playing as, as full-time professionals yeah look that's a good question Zappers but I think this is the first group of players who are, who are switching over from semi-pro to pro players um, certainly within our Matildas team I'd say that the majority are now full-time footballers uh, which you know when I started they were all amateur and I went through the switch from totally amateur or even funding your own way mm. uh, to being semi-pro and now we're, we're going on that cusp of semi-pro to pro and, and we've probably got possibly 
10 to 20 players who are fully professional at the moment and football is their, their main source of income. Uh, so, you know, look, the more that things grow domestically and internationally, that's going to grow exponentially over the next few years. And I, I can see in the next few years with all the support that we're getting in terms of media support, corporate support, government support, uh, the way that international clubs are evolving, I, I can certainly see it four or five years' time where we'll have at least 50 to 60 players who, who are fully committed and fully professional in terms of their football lifestyle. Which is great and uh, some, some, some terrific role models we've seen in, in the sport, especially with, with Sam Kerr uh, this year being named Young Australian of the Year and, and yesterday uh, I was lucky enough uh, to be a part of the, the PFA's workshop uh, which was a, a terrific workshop put on by the PFA um, with the Matildas uh, just before they head, head off to uh, the Asian Cup. Tony, uh, they had uh, three gold medalists including Stephanie Rice who, who spoke brilliantly uh, to the girls about about uh, preparing for a tournament, preparing for uh, pressure, how to cope with pressure on that big stage. And, uh, Alan, I'm sure you were there as well. Uh, the girls got a lot out of that. Yeah, look, we've had that over the last three or four years. It was a great initiative by the PFA yesterday, but, but we've done that over the last two, three years. And, and I think I mentioned to you or a couple of other people that, that I think in football in Australia we, we suffer from a little bit of an inferiority complex. Uh, we always think that the grass is greener in Europe and South America and, and we look at the big and glamorous clubs and, you know, we have to live with that sometimes. But the reality is that for the majority of clubs and majority of countries, it's, it's no better than Australia. And we really need to get out of that shadow and start backing ourselves and believing in ourselves. And, and when you hear from athletes like that, as you degree Zappa, you just get a new sense of belief in our country and in our athletes. And, and why shouldn't we be aspiring to be the world champions in football? You know, and that goes for the Matildas and the Socceroos. What do we need to do to get the best boys and girls playing in the A-League and the W-League and playing for our national team? There's no reason There's no reason why Australia can't win a World Cup in, in men's and women's football. We just have to ensure that we do everything we can in the pathway and in the structures and, and preparing of our uh, competitions and national teams to get there. But, but I certainly believe in, in Australian uh, athletes, and there's so many... So many factors that we have in Australia, the wealth, the environment, the, the love of sport, the freedom to choose whatever we want. And, you know, I see those as the qualities we need to embrace to, to get us to those levels. And, and that's certainly something we push within the Matildas. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd like to yeah, agree, but I think uh, the Matildas will win the World Cup before the, uh, the Socceroos <laughs> stage. But, you um, never know, Tony. Sometimes, you know, you never know. I know. Um <laughs> Although they you know, improved performance this morning. Yeah. Um, Stage, the, the squad, um, Caitlin Ford, is um, she expected back in the squad? No, nah, she's out for another two, three months, four months. So she tore the Liz Frank ligament in the foot. So it's a five to five to six month injury. And, and unfortunately, as you know, Tony, she's, she's one of the most important and key players in our squad. So losing her is a little bit of a blow. But mm. um, look, the best part is she'll be back in. And I think she just got out of her boot yesterday, actually. So... <laughs> She'll be back into the running in three or four weeks' time and hopefully preparing for our team for the Tournament of Nations. We'll let you go now, but just one great story I thought that came out of uh, Monday night was Larissa Crummer. Larissa Crummer with Melbourne City uh, this year didn't make uh, the, the, the squad uh, for the grand final of Melbourne City. And, and uh, just talk to us about your view on her and you named her in the team uh, on Monday night. She came on and, and she scored a goal. Uh, it's extraordinary that you know she, she wasn't able to make the match day squad for Melbourne City. We know how competitive and, and how strong that team is, but obviously you have a, a different view of, of Larissa as a player. Yeah, look, we uh, again, as we all know, every coach has their own opinions and, and football is very subjective. And I'm sure if you picked a team and Tony picked a team, as I read on social media all the time, everyone, everyone would <laughs> pick a different starting 11. But um, look, I've known Larissa for a long time, since she was 15 or 16. She came down and played for Sydney FC uh, the last time we won the grand final. And and just a great kid, great learner, very hard worker. And unfortunately, she's had around about 18 to 20 months off with injury. She had two or three injuries, one after the other. So, But we're just in the process now, just trying to build her back up, her confidence, her touch on the ball, her, her feeling for the game. And, and I think we just saw glimpses of that the other night. But I still think she's got so much more in her. I think she's a great player, great competitor, very coachable, and certainly the kind of player who will be an integral part of this team in the future. So... You know, and obviously at club level, they, they had a different short-term view to try and win that grand final, and, and that's that coach's prerogative. But I certainly see a lot more quality in her, and, and certainly I've got the I'll back her and believe in her. And, and as I said, I think she's going to be a key player in this team in the next three or four years. Alan, you've been very generous with your time uh, on behalf of the football community and all of Australia. We wish you all the best uh, as you go over there and uh, hopefully win the Asian Cup. 
appreciate your port Zappers, and good talking to you again, Tony. Thanks, Thanks Alan. Alan Stajic, the coach of the Matildas, joining us on The Football Bosses here on FNR. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to the Football Bosses. This is Michael Zapponi and uh, Tony Pinata in a... What are you wearing today, Tony? I've cycled in. Uh, beautiful <laughs> Melbourne day, 29 <laughs> degrees. I've cycled in and a um, bit windy, but... Yeah, um, it looks ridiculous. That's man, right, Zappa. Men in Lycra. I'm very uncomfortable, as as would be the next man who joins <laughs> us uh, on the line, the Managing Director of Triples Sports. Have you had to sit next to this bloke in Lycra, Lou? I've seen enough photos of him in it to make him sick. So no, no, no. We can't all be as sharp as you, as the way you come in here, white shirt, check suit. Yeah, Lou Sticker joins us on the line. Thanks Another for joining us. Uh, Lou, very sharp indeed. Uh, and uh, it's great to have you on the show again. We, we love talking to you about the business of sport. Uh, you've been involved in the sport for a long time. And uh, I did, uh, did read with interest that uh, money in sport for this season, this year, has just been announced again. Uh, another terrific event coming up on the Gold Coast. Tell us uh, what we can expect. Oh, thank you, Michael. Look, I mean, it's um, it's our fifth uh, conference coming up now. So we've uh, we've had one in Melbourne, our inaugural one, and then the last three we've had up on the Gold Coast. And we're delighted to be going back again uh, to our fifth conference in uh, in total. Uh, the conference is just growing in um, in numbers and in the quality of uh, the people that we get coming along. Um, we put particular focus on getting speakers that um, can talk about topics that are relevant to the Australian sports market. Uh, so our delegates that come along can sit there and, and take something away rather than just listen to uh, people waffle on about content that might not be relevant to a running sport in this country. So this year we've... Um, We've already announced uh, three uh, major international speakers, uh, one from the Formula One industry and two that we've announced today from uh, the USA uh, in sports marketing, Joey Brander and uh, David uh, Smelser. Uh, these guys are uh, at top of the tree when it comes to uh, sports in that uh, part of the world. And we've got a few more to announce later in the week that um, uh, will also be from the US scene. Yeah, I can vouch for that. I was at, uh, I've been to all all of them, and um, you know, it's getting better and better each uh, each year, Lou. And um, yeah, looking forward to the uh, the, uh, the conference in uh, the Gold Coast in November. And I think the the caliber of people that you you are getting uh, along as as a delegate, um, it's it's great listening to. And last year was uh, exceptional, and I think um, you know this year it's going to go even even that one better. You talk about marketing the sport um, and some of the experiences in the US. We know we've spoken before about the the MLS and and the things that we can learn from them as we look towards next season, Lou, in the A League. We we know what should be done, but what what do you think the realistic uh, uh, plan should be for for the A League next year in terms of marketing? Uh, that for me, that's been one of the biggest failures this year is is the the way that the marketing uh, budget was spent, albeit a very small one, given back to the clubs and, and the clubs have uh, done differing things with it. But uh, if you if you were looking at the A League structure next year, what what would you uh, focus on? Well, this is the problem. I mean, you, you can't look at um, doing anything substantial to the uh, to the future of the game and the league if you're looking at it on an annual basis. Um, I mean, we have structural problems that affect the A-League. Um, and to fix those structural problems, it's going to take, you know, medium to long-term planning. And what I mean by structural is stadiums, fundamentally. Um, most of our clubs play uh, in multi-purpose stadiums that are way uh, bigger than what the crowds uh, that we're getting. Um, I mean, I saw... I saw someone put up a post, I think Michael Lynch from The Age put up a post this morning about uh, the Socceroos game against Columbia being played at uh, at Fulham's ground, Craven Cottage, and how great it was because it was a cute, uh, compact little stadium. And he, he made a comment, something like, this is where the A-League should be played. And it's actually correct. That's the size of stadium that we should be looking at. And if you look at Australia, the only one that, the only clubs that have got stadiums that 
uh, a, a good fit. Uh, Adelaide United with Coopers, uh, Hindmarsh Stadium, and um, the the Central Coast Mariners with uh, Gosford Stadium. Albeit that they, uh, it's probably way too big for them given their um, uh, poor crowds as well. But uh, you know, if you look at some of the other stadiums that our clubs are playing in, you know, Allianz and Tony would know firsthand. Um, Suncorp, which is a magnificent football stadium. It's one of my favourite in Australia. And, you know, if it was for the Socceroos, I'd be happy to go there uh, to watch the Socceroos play because with the Socceroos, you've got a bigger chance of filling it. Um, uh, Amy Park, even at 30,000, we're we're seeing um, Melbourne City that can't uh, get people beyond the first tier. Uh, Melbourne Victory are the only club that um, historically has gone close to filling that uh, on a regular basis. So we're talking about structural issues that are going to take more than one year to fix. If you're looking at it purely on what can we do to fix the A-League next year, well, there's only one quick fix, and we've experienced it before, and that is with genuine A-League players. Um, And this is something that um, uh, Tony and I have got a little bit of experience in with uh, Alessandro Del Piero and previously... I um, had uh, the fortune of doing uh, a deal with Sydney FC with uh, when we brought uh, Dwight York. Um, but the reality is our feeble attempts at uh, foreign players and marquee players isn't um, working. I mean, a lot of the players that we bring in and classify as marquees genuinely aren't marquees. They might be good players in, in their own right, uh, but they're not players that are making uh, a big difference um, with bums on seats, even our own uh, Timmy Cale, who, you know, let's face it, he's, he's the biggest soccerer uh, of the last 20 years. Uh, even his impact uh, when he came back to play in the A-League um, was uh, was a major disappointment. So um, to fix things on a year-by-year basis, uh, it's very, very difficult. Sitting here, if I was sitting in FFA's offices now thinking, what are we going to do to make the A-League better supported next year. Uh, It's a tough one. I suppose one thing that they can do, um, if they've got a $3 million budget for uh, a marquee player or marquee players, I don't think that's enough. So don't waste it. Divert that $3 million to advertising the league in uh, print, radio, um, television. Make sure that fans that follow the game know that the games are on. Um, I see many, I follow social media quite closely and many times I would see people make comments that uh, they weren't even aware that games were on. So if we've got a limited budget to work with uh, next year, apply that budget to where it's going to make the most uh, impact and that would be in, in letting people know that the game is, is actually happening. Yeah, Lou, um, I think uh, your sort of you know theory around the stadia is, is spot on because I remember... Um, you know the Wanderers and they were playing out of Parramatta which was a you know 19 20,000 seat and they were getting 12 13,000 and it looked full every week and uh, you know Sydney FC at that time with uh, Alessandro they were averaging you know 18 to 20,000 but in the 45,000 it didn't look full so everyone the mm. perception was geez the Wanderers are you know getting a lot more people than Sydney which wasn't true at the time so that made a made a massive um impact on on the look and feel and the perception and you know even in, in at cooper's you get 13 14 thousand there it rocks so that that is something that you know needs to be looked at but we don't have the facilities and the clubs don't have the money to go out and go and bu- you know, build their own stadia you're absolutely and, right i agree with both of you but let's let's talk about next year and and i think you're right lou we need to have those strategic conversations uh, and, and we've spoken about them on this program before. We had Matt Winley. Uh, I know there are others uh, that are talking about building stadiums. Tasmania is an example. And, th- and there will be others that come to the fore in the next few months. Next year, Marquees, uh, where do you see that, that standing? I know there are some clubs saying that they're going to look at Marquees next year. What type of Marquees should we look at? And, and how difficult will it be given, you know, now that we're... We're challenging, challenged with the Asian market as well as, as a, a key competitor here. I think um, th- th- there's no such thing as what type of marquee. A marquee is a marquee. Uh, so the only player that, that I believe is a marquee is someone um, that, is, uh, pl- that, that has played in the top two or three leagues um, in Europe 
classic example is what's happened in the last week or so. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic going to LA Galaxy. Now, look at the social media impact that's made in the last week. The numbers are just staggering. He's he's a genuine marquee. The, the issue with, with marquees of that calibre is, is that we sit here and we all say, oh, he's going to cost too much. Well, we don't know because no one ever actually contacts these people. Right? And unless you put, unless you sell coming to Australia, uh, sell the lifestyle, sell the, uh, the number of games, sell playing in Asia is, is something, you know, that, uh, uh, that you pitch to these players, we're never going to know. So everyone just assumes that these players are going to cost too much, so we can't go for them. So let's go for a lesser type of marquee. Well, there isn't a lesser type of marquee. You know, a marquee is a big hit. Someone that's going to make big difference in uh, in gate receipts, uh, in in media following, in public attention. Um, there isn't a lower grade marquee. It's either a marquee or they're not. So um, we're going to sit here and clubs are going to pretend to go for marquees and they're going to end up with some second rate um, foreign and call him a marquee. Now, if you look at Sydney FC, for instance, they've got probably the best batch of visa players that have, that have ever come into the A-League in one, in one lot. So we've had individual great uh, foreign players that have come in, but Sydney FC, Sydney FC, to uh, have three or four all in one hit is, is, is fantastic. But, you know, and Tony might agree or disagree with me and probably doesn't want to comment on the club that he's no longer employed by, but the reality is, you know, as great as those players are and as successful as that, that team has been, they actually haven't pulled the crowds. So they aren't marquees. They are players that are foreign players that should be paid well, but they are not marquees. So, you know, this fallacy of clubs thinking that uh, they're looking for marquees, unless someone is actually going to um, say, OK, let's target the next Vladimir Ibrahimovic. We've missed out on him. Let's identify who the next player that could come onto the market let's go there and let's sell them a dream um, if we just make it all about money it'll never get to first base yeah just um, it's easy to lose isn't it just send an email and um, see if they bite <laughs> <laughs> yeah it doesn't work that way uh, what about Wayne Rooney someone that um, you know is in the twilight of his career at Everton uh, this year of course return there that, that that's the type of name that would resonate across uh, mainstream Australia I would have thought Absolutely. I mean, he's he's uh, he definitely ticks the boxes. I mean, there's one, you know, captain of England. I mean, he's had a stellar career at uh, Man United. Um, he ticks all the boxes. You know, he's a sort of person that would uh, a sort of player that would uh, lift attention in the league, uh, would help attract uh, other players to the league from overseas, um, but m- most importantly, would help the club recoup uh, its investment by increasing uh, uh, fans attending games merchandise, uh, television exposure, which affects sponsorship. It just has it just ticks all the boxes. We get the sense that uh, the A-League clubs uh, recognise that they, they do need to invest that type of money uh, and I, I know that some of the big clubs I've spoken to uh, are, are considering it for next season and, and to the points that you made earlier, someone that is going to rock the box office not somebody who can just play football. Uh, how important do you think it is now for the clubs at this juncture of the A-League's development to not worry too much about balancing the book and take a bit of a risk. I know Melbourne Victory have been one of the most successful clubs over the history of the A-League on and off the park. They've made some good money this year from some transfers. Uh, is a club like Victory best place to, to take a risk and, and invest that type of money on a player like that? Uh, Michael, it's really easy for people like me to sit back and tell others how to spend their money mm. <laughs> you know it takes a lot of courage i mean you know to be an owner of an a-league club let's be honest um um they they're, they're all uh trying to um balance the books and so it's really easy to take a pot shot and say go out and you know bring us show wayne rooney you know don't mm. worry about the cost just do it i mean that, that that's just la la land i mean at the end of the day there are there are clubs there that are well resourced that have got the ability to create um the, the, the sort of revenue that's going to be required to fund an operation like a big marquee, like Sydney FC did it. I mean, Sydney, t- Tony, Tony's a testament to the fact that when you've got a club owner and a club CEO who sit there and think, we want to make this thing happen, 
Uh, let's put together a budget, how much sponsorship we're going to raise. Let's crunch the numbers. Let's put a business case together. And at the end of the day, how much are we prepared to lose? And if, 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 if the owner says, OK, well, look, I can either come, I can, I can break even or I can lose an amount of money that I'm comfortable with, but overall it's going to help me grow the business, um, then that's a decision that they can, they can contemplate making. And uh, I, I could put it put it this way: I've, I've heard that you know there is a, a coach at Sydney FC who uh, is now moving on. So perhaps Sydney FC will be more open to, to that next year, uh, given Arnie was was very very structured on wanting to decide on which players would would come in, and uh, the new owner, well not the new owner, the owners have always been the same for the last few years, um, would uh, stipulate to whoever the new coach is that uh, that that would be a key objective uh, is to get a big name like that. Well, that's. Uh, that's a particular gripe that I've had is, is that sometimes club owners in their um, reluctance to want to interfere with the coach and with team selection and all the rest of it um, have allowed the coaches to uh, control every single aspect of that. And one might say, well, so they should. But I think when we're talking about a marquee player, the, the coach... For that particular decision, the coach's input um, has to be curbed and has to be um, equaled with input from people with marketing expertise, uh, people that are going to be able to turn around and say, well, look, if we bring Wayne Rooney as an example, it's going to mean um, our sponsorship revenues are going to increase by a million or two, our memberships are going to go up, and, and at the end of the day, then the owner has to sit there and say, well or whoever the coach is um, on this one we're going to we're going to push this this, this decision through Lou uh, we know that you've been involved in bringing some uh, some big European clubs here over the, the last few years and Chelsea is on its way to Perth I was in Perth over the weekend I saw the stadium it's a, it's a magnificent venue although I'm still flabbergasted that they haven't got the surface right it's the first game in the AFL and it looked like patchwork I think Ed Sheeran might have been there a few years mm. ago I bet you want to hope that uh, the, the surface is looking a little bit better but by the time uh, Chelsea comes here but uh, tell us how that's uh, all shaping up yeah, oh look it's um, it's a fantastic stadium. I was there four weeks ago when we announced it, and uh, uh, the, the, that stadium is just something special. The amount of money that they spent on it, you'd want it to be something special too. Um, it's, uh, it's it's really a comfortable stadium for fans to go and spend uh, the day out to watch whatever sport is being played there at the time, and that goes for concerts and everything else. Uh, the Chelsea Tour, I think ticket sales are doing really well. Um, I still think there's 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 a, quite a number left, but I think the the stadium management are pretty happy with uh, ticket date uh, ticket sales to date. Um, and look, it's, it's, uh, Perth is a is a, is a big big city, uh, but there's not much going on at any one time. They tend to get really behind entertainment, whether it be sport, whether it be concerts. Um, they also have a, an incredibly big English uh, and British uh, expat population, so I think that uh, I think it'll be a raging success and it'll be a lot of fun. Lou, so it's a World Cup year. And you've got Chelsea. Any other potential? Well, I know you're not going to announce it, but are you looking at any other European clubs um, or non-European clubs to come over on the on you know you know play in Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane? Look, I, I think at this stage, that's just I think that's pretty much it for 2018 unless something uh, falls in unexpected but at this time of the year uh, one thing that we've uh, the, the, the stakeholders that are involved in the games that I work with um, we try and have a 12-18 month leading time uh, to really uh, put together a project that is beneficial for the fans, for the clubs and for the to the investors uh, to put something together in 3-4 months is a bit bit riskier and it's a bit more of a challenge these days so I'd say for, from my perspective what I'm involved with I think 2018 it's Chelsea um, and then we'll, uh, we'll we're, we're in discussions at the moment with a number of clubs for 2019 I think 2019 will be a, a really busy year and there'll be a number of games across the country 
We know that the ICC tournament, it's not something you're involved with, but uh, we've seen it over uh, the few years in Australia. Do you know whether uh, they have plans to be here and, and, and you know, does that impact uh, you, know, you uh, and your negotiations with other clubs? Oh, look, it's not for me to talk about other uh, people. Uh, my understanding, though, is, is that ICC in Australia uh, isn't operating any longer. Um, so there may be components... Good news for your of, business then, Lou. <laughs> oh, not, no, not, not, not really. I mean, the co- competition is good. I mean, at the end of the day, if, if it's quality teams that are coming out, mm. uh, whether we're bringing them or someone else is involved in bringing them out, it's great for the, for the game. So I don't look at it that way. I mean, at the end of the day, the big country, our population is growing, tourism is buoyant, um, there's enough uh, meat on the bone for everybody if it's, if it's good quality. Yeah, and that's the key, isn't it? You know, sometimes we've seen that uh, clubs come out and uh, the, the players uh, haven't been at full strength, some of the squads. But uh, um, I, I remember um, Juventus when they came out to, to Sydney and, and watching them that first time they came out for a, for a long time. And the squad they put together, I think uh, Allegri was, had just been appointed as the coach. And, and going to watch them train, it was one of the best training sessions I've ever seen. The way the players were, were fighting uh, each other in, in that little scratch match they were playing and the intensity of that training session was, was extraordinary. It was probably more intense than the game itself. And, and the key for me is the timing of these events. If, if they're part of the pre-season, we know European clubs have a very limited pre-season, uh, then they've only got two weeks to prepare and uh, they use those uh, two weeks very, very seriously. Look, I think most of the clubs that have come, I remember, you know, Tottenham came out with mm. Harry Kane and the rest of the squad and they played, you know, some good football and Chelsea backed up four nights later. You know, we had, I think, like 70-odd thousand and 83,000 and even Liverpool last year, which was, uh, I suppose, uh, a quick tour for them. They flew in, flew out, Steven Gerrard played and there was 70-odd thousand there for that night as well and people went home, you know, pretty, pretty happy. So fans are there. Um... But we need to ensure that you know these teams that do come bring out quality players because um, you know they're paying some some big dollars to go watch. Is that the, is that a key element though when you're negotiating lose? Is the part the timing of it? You know, is, if it's part of their preseason, you, you, you tend to it's it's, it's an easier well, conversation. Uh, actually, preseason is actually harder. Mm. Uh, postseason is usually much easier. But to, just to to rebut a little bit, the two games that you're referring to, Tony, the two games that were held in Sydney both Chelsea and Tottenham, uh, they were actually both post-season games yeah. and they were uh, a raging success. I think the, the, the key is, again, we've all touched on it, but the key success, it's not the timing, it's the quality of, of, of the, uh, the squad that's coming out. If the quality players are there, the fans feel they've got their money's worth, um, and at the end of the day, clubs today are all concerned about maintaining uh, integrity in their brand. Uh, you don't get clubs wanting to come out here being part of a game where the promoter's ripping off um, the fans and in turn uh, that actually whether the club is responsible for the ticket prices or not it actually does still reflect uh, back on the on the game and the event and the clubs that are involved um, so so I think good clubs don't want to be involved in anything uh, that is going to leave fans dissatisfied and one of the key elements, I know we're running out of time, but just one more from, from me before we let you go. The, the key elements, and we've seen it over the last decade now, is the, the, the appetite for brands, international brands, to expand into the Asia-Pacific region because they realise the, uh, that there is uh, a, a lot of opportunity in, in this market, not just in Australia, but of course across uh, Asia, for them to expand their brands beyond, uh, beyond Europe. Correct, 100%. I mean, Australia is now part of a, an Asian destination. Mm. Very rarely do clubs just come out to play one game in Australia and then head off. Um, so, so definitely, it's uh, being being in Asia is absolutely uh, a, a big benefit uh, for uh, Australia as a destination. Lou, it's been uh, fascinating as always. We love uh, having you on the show and uh, thank you uh, for your time today and we look forward to doing it all again one day soon. Thanks, gentlemen. Lou Sticker, the Managing Director of Tribal Sports Management, joining us on the line. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. 
Brought to you by DKP and Co Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to the Football Bosses. Uh, thank you to Alan Stadich and to Lou Sticker for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the program. Before we go, Tony, A-League finals are upon us. Uh, it's been a, a flat year. We know things have been uh, going backwards in terms of crowd. And uh, What do you think we'll see this year in uh, the A-League finals? It's, uh, it's set up with Sydney FC and Newcastle looking like they'll finish one and two. Um, what do you think the final series will look like from a crowd point of view and a and an interest point of view. Yeah, look, I mean, with three rounds to go, I mean, Sydney can win the Premier's Plate this this week in Perth like they did last year. Tomorrow um, night, actually. Yeah, Thursday night, night they're Thursday playing. Night. Yeah. So, um, look, the finals is different. Um, I know the purists out there says, you know, it's the home and away, that's all we care. But the finals add that extra, you know, I suppose, drama, uh, attraction, and um, I think you'll see the crowds come back. Um, you know, the grand final, wherever it'll be, it'll be a sellout. Um, and and most hope- likely to be Sydney or Newcastle. It's It hasn't happened, I don't think. I think maybe once it's happened that someone's won it from outside the top two, but uh, it's very rare that uh, uh, the, the team that finishes first or second doesn't host the grand final. Look, I think only once, I mean, apart from, say, Central Coast, who had to play at uh, Allianz Stadium, mm. but only one team has ever won it playing away from home, and that Which was Sydney. Sydney. yeah, in, in a, a penalty, penalty shootout. shootout. It, uh, so, against Melbourne victory at Etihad, yeah. You know, home ground advantage is huge. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the crowds will, will come back. Um, you know, some, some fantastic um, match-ups. Um, but there's all to play for over the next few weeks, so the hype will, will, will grow now. And uh, hopefully the, the football fans will see it and get on board. And, uh, geez, the FFA needs some dollars as well. So They just got a big check from FIFA for qualifying for the World Cup. What are they doing with oh, that? They've probably already spent that. Well, <laughs> half goes to the players. Yeah. It's and then all be. the camps that uh, Bert's got on, and you know it's very, very costly. So. Yeah, and uh, great to see that uh, the the race for the top six is well and truly alive. The results last weekend really opened things up with Perth beating Melbourne Victory and uh, Brisbane Raw missing out an opportunity. Wanderers losing a city. Wanderers losing. So it's uh, it's going to go down to the wire, and not only the top six, but uh, when the race for the fifth and sixth positions, but the race for third and fourth. The importance there, of course, is that uh, you get to host the first final and in third you have a chance to make the Asian Champions League as well which is a, a lucrative thing for clubs also yeah no it's all to play for over the next few weeks so I'm looking forward to it and looking forward to some big games this weekend as well right, I'm gonna, I won't be around for the next couple of weeks I'll be up on the Gold Coast uh, with what are you the, doing there? the Commonwealth Games on the 7 Network make sure you tune in oh, and oh. Uh, looking forward to, to that But uh, did Lu- you get approval? Or you, I didn't Lu- sign your approval <laughs> thing mate. Hey, what Lu- are you doing? Louise uh, is going to sit in for me over the next couple of weeks so enjoy that Louise and, uh, Taffer, yes. Um, uh, well done to you, Tony. Better looking than you, Michael. Much better, much better looking. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show and uh, we'll do it all again next week. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Co Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Ching, ching.